Welcome to Overeat, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for exceptional 21st century living. We've got one of my favorites back. Um, Danielle Dulski is joining us today, and we're talking about her latest book, Bones and Honey, a Heathen Prayer Book. This book is really important. As you will see, we talk about different archetypes. She's arranged it into 13 chapters or themes, if you will. And um, she offers prayers and the prayers are powerful. I did a few myself and they are definitely powerful. So I can't wait to share them with you. Now the information shared and get over it uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that's holding you back. But you know, I always ask, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I am the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. Now, my clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, thismoniquechapman.com, and I invite you to like and follow me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Danielle Dusky is the author of The Holy Wild, Seasons of Moon and Flame, Woman Most Wild, The Holy Wild Gridmore, and most recently, Bones and Honey. A heathen visionary, painter, poet, storyteller, and word witch, she teaches internationally and has facilitated circles, embodiment chain trainings, communal spell work, and seasonal rituals since 2007. She is the founder of the Hag School and believes in the emerging power of wild collectives and sudden circles of curious dreamers, cunning witches, and rebellious artists in healing our ailing world. And you can check her out at her website, and that's DanielleDusky.com, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-D-U-L-S-K-Y.com. Welcome back, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me again, Monique. So happy to be here. Oh, I am so glad you're here. I shared with you and I'll share with the audience listening to this show. This is my last podcast. I am retiring the podcast or I think forever, but it might be just for a while. We'll wait and see. <laughs> um, but I am truly honored to have um, Danielle as my very uh, last guest. So thank you so much um, for agreeing to come on the show. Now, Bones and Honey, it doesn't have the word wild in the title. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't. I mean, it has the word heathen. I felt like yeah. that was good enough. But yeah, you're right. It does not. <laughs> uh, so tell us about Bones and Honey. Why that title? 
So uh, since 2020, I've been thinking a lot about paradox and our inner contradictions and how like in the early months of 2020, I had this tension between being really fearful and also sad because we were losing a lot of people personally. And then of course, seeing it on the news, but then also being weirdly hopeful and joyful to have you know, everybody kind of be in the same place of uncertainty. And so having that weird (laughs) paradox that I was sensing and like not naming it as bad or that I had to choose between one state of mind and the other and that I could just Uh kind of hold the tension of both. So I've been thinking a lot about these apparent opposites that really kind of complement each other and can actually be a power source when you hold the tension of these two seemingly opposing things. So bones being very like death and endings and, you know, the bones are what remain after we die. And then honey being the sweetness and the joy in life and being able to hold the tension of both of those things every day, like, like we do, but to consciously hold the tension of it. uh, That was my, that was my idea for bones and honey. It also ended up being a prominent feature on Ted Lasso, but that was not planned. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, you know, anything helps, right? (laughs) Yes. Well, the subtitle, you did mention the word heathen. So for those who haven't caught your other um, podcast and folks, please look them up um, here on this network and listen. uh, She teaches you a lot. Uh, The heathen prayer book. Oh, Why? Yeah. So, well, heathen means to live on untamed ground. So the root of the word heathen is it's the dwellers on the heath. They were kind of the last holdouts in the Celtic lands to be Christianized or colonized. Um, So thinking about heathen as mean nowadays, a modern heathen, what does that mean? Tending to the inner uncivilized self, which I think looks different from day to day. I'm always wondering what my inner uncivilized self looks like on that particular day, (laughs) but that the inner uncivilized one needs to pray too. So, you know, the part of us that really does feel a kinship with the wilds, that there's still a need for prayer, which means earnest request that doesn't necessarily need to be to a deity, it can be to your future self or your ancestors or your inner wild one. The prayer can be a petition to anyone. And yet we still need, we still need prayer. So that's why a heathen prayer book. Okay. So if we still need prayer and you can pray to anyone, why is it that organized religion has said that, you know, you have to pray in a certain way into a certain energy. I'll just leave it at that. Is that just controlling us or is there a secret to it that we're not realizing? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I would say probably both. I mean, for sure, there's a controlling aspect to it. But, you know, the seeds of every organized religion were so beautiful. And so if we're thinking about the inner uncivilized self, there's probably an inner uncivilized self within every organized religion. It would just take so much peeling away and stripping back. So, um, but but I think, you know, the the seed of of the beauty is there. It's just been covered up so much by so much crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And before we get into, I want to get into the archetypes and the, um, 
13 books in a moment, but tell to us about, you know, who is today's witch? Do they have to be in a coven? Can they be solitary? Do they have to go in through an initiation or be, what is it, a guardian? And there's a couple of other big, um, mm -hmm. I guess, covens out there. Um, and correct me because my language might not be complete uh, and right, but who is today's witch? Well, I think that the, the definition that I use that still feels right is that a witch is really anyone who both practices witchcraft and that can look any number of ways. To me, witchcraft is an art. So spellcraft is not unlike painting or writing. Um, so the practice of witchcraft is an important piece of it. And then they've claimed the name witch for themselves. So no, I don't think that initiation is a, an important gateway that you need to cross. I don't think that you need to belong to a coven. Um, I think there's benefits of both of those things, but it's not a necessity. And I think that anybody can be a witch if that's what they're choosing to be. And also there's plenty of people that practice witchcraft that wouldn't identify as witches and that's fine too. So um there was just an article in the New York Times that was like, you know, nowadays everybody's a witch or, or when did everybody become a witch? I think that was the title of it. And I'm all for it. I don't think anything's being diluted or like, I just think that there's things being uncovered and there is an awakening going on. And a lot of that is because of the planet and climate collapse and witchcraft has always been a a tradition and a practice of honoring the elements and nature. So there's something about the necessary medicine of witchcraft coming through and all of these brand new witches starting to practice. That's an important medicine, I think, for the ailing planet. How is it that we can finally get past the, I don't know, negative side of being a witch or being called a witch. Because when someone doesn't understand what you're doing, sometimes they'll just label you, oh, you're a witch. And they point the finger or the cross fingers at you and you're like, oh, hey, hold back your minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess it depends on the person. I mean, I think that there's there's conversations that can be generative and fruitful and might change someone's opinion about you. But I think most of the time, if they're, they're already pointing cross fingers at you, they've probably already decided that you are a certain way and it's best to maybe let them be them and you be you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you, you say that today witchcraft is political. Talk to me more about that. Well, it kind of goes back to this, the idea of witchcraft being the medicine for the wounded world. I mean, I think that there's so many awful manifestations of not just patriarchy, but all of the isms that we could name. But they really all, if you get underneath all of them, ageism, ableism, uh, misogyny, all of that, if you get under all of it, there's just this kind of deep neglect and disrespect for the planet. And I think that witchcraft is political because it, this idea that, you know, the planet doesn't need to be saved and we don't need laws that are going to protect the elements or the water, etc. That idea is just so outmoded that every time a witch casts a spell that would use water, that, you know, they would be kind of 
maybe even unconsciously or subconsciously going against the idea that water would be disrespected or wasted or polluted. So there's always politics in witchcraft, even if, you know, the witch says that there isn't. I really think that every, and, and even like, like voting is a symbolic action. Like even that is a spell. So there's a mm -hmm. lot of, um, there's a lot of similarities in between these things that we would think aren't witchy and witchcraft. So it's there if you look though. <laughs> okay. Now, as I mentioned earlier, you've broken down the prayers into 13 books and they have certain archetypes and their themes. So why don't we um, talk about four different archetypes? You get to pick. Ooh, okay. Um, well, first I'll say the the archetypes that are in the book, the 13 archetypes that I was thinking about the the archetypal medicine that is necessary for um, the world to, I was going to say heal, but what that healing looks like to my mind is this um, continuate meaningful, intentional, conscious continuation of this underworld global journey that I think we're on um, mm -hmm. and trying to find the best way to ascend eventually. So the medicinal archetypes are the ones that I was after. And so the 13 archetypes that are in Bones and Honey, some of them are familiar, I think, like the wounded healer archetype, for instance, which I think is probably the most important one. Um, mm -hmm. So the healer who is also wounded and even bringing the wound, like the healing of the wound into the center of whatever their healing practice is, that that's an important tension going back to when I was talking about paradox in the beginning. Um, so wounded healer, if we could all like embody our inner wounded healer, I think that the world would certainly be <laughs> a better place. And then there's the uh, the bone witch, which it would be the part of us that is really feeling a kinship with death. So when parts of our lives come to an end or parts of our uh, career or our, our role as parent or mother, when those things come to an end, that there's an important midwifing of the death that must happen. And our inner bone witch kind of knows how to do that. Um, then there's the innocent archetype, which would be the part of us that sees the world through childlike eyes, even when we do have patterns for things. So seeing something that might be very familiar, but intentionally seeing it in a brand new way, that's the power of the innocent, which of course would um, have a lot of healing impact on our world if our decision makers were able to do that. <laughs> and let's yeah. see a fourth one. Fourth one, I guess I'll I'll go with the pagan warrioress, which would be the part of us that um, is interested in generative conflict and knows that change isn't always com well. Change is never comfortable. Meaningful change is never comfortable anyway. Um, and you know she's able to discern what is. Uh, battle worth fighting and which one wouldn't be. So I think we all have an inner pagan warrioress that might help us pick our battles a little bit more um, mindfully <laughs> if, we, if we let her. <laughs> oh, well, one of my favorites was the book of the nameless grandmothers. And those are prayers for ancestral healing, lineage exploration, and forgiveness. And, um, 
I found it quite interesting because I've been doing a lot of ancestral work lately for whatever reason. It's just crept into my head and said, hey, get to know who was here before you. And Mm -hmm. as you explore your ancestry and you see things like that would shock you and you're like, okay, instead of it, and it's a negative, or at least society would say it's a negative, um, you have the opportunity to sit with that energy understand that energy and heal. Could you talk to us more about that, how we can heal ancestral? Yeah, I think that what you just said, that that that's it, that there are wounds that are housed within our four grandparental lineages and there's gifts that are there also. So I think that a big piece of ancestral healing is seeing the wounds that are there and they are usually in the more recent generations, these deep wounds that often stops people, you know, they, they find that thing that is shocking or that they don't want to learn. And then they don't want to go any further, or they decide that all of their ancestors were bad people or that the wound is too great or something. But mm-hmm. if they go farther back, if they would go farther back to the earth-based traditions of their people, Um, and they do have to sometimes go very far, that they would find that the very medicine that would heal the wound of that lineage is usually already in the lineage, but you have to go far enough back to find it and then kind of carry it forward. So, um, you know, I don't think that it's work that's ever done. And it does take an incredibly brave heart to do it because it's never easy it's kind of like shadow work where it seems kind of trendy and and like seductive and people want to do it and then they start doing it and then they're like never mind (laughs) I I think that ancestral healing is like that like it kind of seems like oh this is interesting and nice and then you start doing it and you're like oh actually this is incredibly hard um and then the other piece of it is that and the piece that I tried to amplify in the book of the nameless grandmothers is that we are like the, the kind of breathing altar to the ancestors. And so in a way we're already healing the lineages, like just by breathing and just by doing the work that we've been born to the world to do, that there's a big piece of healing the lineages just by kind of being who you're meant to be. Um, and so, you know, when you know that, then it helps to, I think, ease the more arduous parts of the, the ancestral healing that can be much more difficult. Okay. Well, you know, there's a lot of people interested in witchcraft today. Um, they sometimes confuse it with Wicca, which I think is a little bit different, or even things like voodoo and um, that sort of thing. What would you advise to an expiring witch? Yeah, um, my go-to advice, I guess twofold. The first would be if they're an aspiring witch, then probably they wouldn't be a hereditary witch. There is uh, an idea that you must have you know, your mom must have been a witch and your grandmother must have been a witch in order for you to do it. And I, I don't think that that's true. My mother and grandmother certainly weren't witches or wouldn't have identified as witches anyway. Um, uh-huh. But what I tell people to do to begin would be to look to the moments in their lives, starting from childhood and then going up to 
their the current chapter in their story and look for the moments when they really felt like they were the most them that they could possibly be at that moment like fleeting moments in time where you know they're watching a sunrise and suddenly everything seems okay or they're dancing wildly with friends and suddenly they're in this place of pure presence or they're creating a painting or some other form of art and they really feel like oh this is me um and so if you look at enough of those moments you find that there are patterns in them um for instance maybe they're always with other people in those moments in which case maybe they would want to try to find a coven or a circle um maybe they're always alone in those moments in which case maybe it would be a solitary practice of witchcraft in the beginning and then also the elements are usually there the elements that they feel a kinship with usually show up maybe they're often like in the woods or they're gardening their hands are in the dirt that would be the earth element would be important so maybe they would be drawn toward hedge witchery or kitchen witchery um uh, maybe the fire element is really dominant in the form of the sun or actual fire and then you know pyromancy or some other form of fire would be prominent in their witchcraft so you kind of look at the patterns that are in those moments of just pure presence and pure beingness and you find the patterns and you build your craft in the beginning out of those patterns only and then after that you can kind of flesh it out but those patterns are usually the right bone to begin with. Okay. Now besides yourself, who else um in the witchy world would you recommend reading their information for general knowledge about um witchcraft whether it's kitchen witchery or um garden witchery whatever it is. Yeah, I love um I love the books that Matt Aaron has put out. Mm -hmm. Um he his well his most famous book is psychic witch but he has another one called mastering magic and he has like a way of writing that is very kind of like like well, I want to say goal oriented like i do believe witches want proof that their witchcraft works <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah. otherwise you start to not do it you know why would you cast that spell when the last 10 that you cast didn't work but um when you have like a process oriented kind of clear co container for your witchcraft especially in the beginning again going back to like what are the bones matt offers like different clear like step by step practices for how to do that there's also the writing of um oh what's his name jason something um uh, miller yes jason, jason miller jason miller yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so like his books like uh his ones like financial sorcery that is they're they're to so different from the way I write but they're just these like you know process step by step oriented books that are so important like when you're learning and you're not really sure which direction to go it's, it's easy to go step 1 step 2 step 3 so um and then you have the proof that the spell works which mm -hmm. is so important in the beginning so that you keep going <laughs> yeah. And then you just hone your skills. Right. So, exactly. Um, now you've written other books. So why don't you give us a little synopsis um, of each of your books so that people can go out and buy them and utilize the information? Oh, OK. So my first book was Woman Most Wild that came out in 2017. And that is a an overview of what I'm calling the three keys to liberating the witch within and those are essentially ritual 
and then also circle and also rhythm. So being able to see your own personal rhythms mirrored in nature. Um, so it's kind of a bare bones um, witchcraft book that would be for beginners, I think. And then yeah. my second book was The Holy Wild. That was 2018. And that one's about um, archetypes of women, the feminine archetypes of women that were cast in a certain light through the Christian Bible and then liberating those archetypes and weaving them into different rituals and spells. Then there was the Seasons of Moon and Flame came out in March 2020. <laughs> so that was a book that was very much about like visiting the, the houses of the grandmothers and hearing their stories. And the, if there's one book that has like all of the different spells and rituals and stories in it for the wheel of the year, it's Seasons of Moon and Flame. I just, I put so much in there. Um, okay. And then I have an Oracle deck, Sacred Hags Oracle, um, which is really good art by Janine Hausman, and it's beautiful. And then Holy Wild Grimoire came out last autumn. So that is the companion book for the Holy Wild. So it's kind of going back and reflecting on the Holy Wild and what was meaningful in that book and then journaling and sort of seeing like, what does this mean for me now? Oh. And then lastly, this year, it's Bones and Honey. So yes, six books. Okay, I think I got all of them. You got all of them. <laughs> and I'm quite sure there's more to come. So folks, you know, do check her website, DanielleDolsky.com to see what she's up to now. Um, Danielle, our time is almost up, but could you give us a pearl of wisdom for the audience, especially since this is my last show? <laughs> Wow, yeah, I better make it good. Um, a pearl from of the wisdom. heart, from the heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I really believe that all of us who are here today chose to be here. Um, for some reason, our soul chose to be here for this strange and wild chapter in the world story. And so the question is. The question I ask myself is why which, why here, why now? But for you, it doesn't have to be which if you don't identify with that word, but what, how, how you would you identify? So mm -hmm. maybe it's, you know, why writer, well, why here, why now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You do. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. you know, other people, what, 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 what would word what might they identify with? And then, so why would you choose to claim that that particular identity during this chapter in the world story if you chose to be here and now and also your location like you, the witch's ecological position is really important why are you where you are right now like there must be meaning to that and if you listen you can almost hear like your wise and future self calling you forward and orienting you toward them sort of like toward the best version of you um, that will really support the answer to those questions. Why which? Why here? Why now? Was that okay, good? <laughs> that, that is fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, Daniel, I've appreciated your time today. Thank you very much. Um, folks, check out her other um, podcast on this network. You will truly enjoy them. And do check out her website because she keeps it updated. And um, 
MissDanielDolsky.com. She keeps it updated and you'll find her uh, fresh information. And um, for everyone, please remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of loving yourself, of growing, and of being your authentic self. Abundant blessings, light, and love to all. Ashe.